welcome into this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Show here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you find your favorite sports podcasts. Darren and Andrew back with you on this week's show. Andrew does a lot of heavy lifting for us, so give him a little break here, get a couple other guys rotated in. But we will have Andrew in back-to-back episodes. We typically like to bounce around on the show and talk about a lot of different topics, but this week we're going to heavily focus on fantasy football. This is an Andrew special had to have him here to give us his thoughts, and I'll sprinkle in what I can looking ahead to the 2023 NFL fantasy football season. Before we delve too deeply into that, I do want to stay true to our mission on the show and jump around a little bit. Uh, two things that I had off the top of my head, and then we can go with you or uh, anything. UFC 292, uh, I did not get a chance to watch it. I was just too busy, but our our guy, Sugar Sean O'Malley, taking out Aljamain Sterling, the previous champ who a lot of people just kind of hated. I I understand why people didn't like Aljo with the way he won and retained his title. And people are going to say he got put in his place. I don't know if I quite feel that way. I just think Sugar Sean O'Malley's fantastic. And UFC has been looking for their next star to build around without Rousey and McGregor and John Jones maybe fading, you, you know, going towards retirement. So with the big personality, Sugar Sean O'Malley, his time might be net. I think we all should have seen this coming. Sugar Sean O'Malley. A name like O'Malley, UFC 292 was in Boston. I think we should have seen it coming. Um, what a magical night, though. Him walking out to Superstar by Lupe Fiasco and then going out there and just absolutely KOing uh, Aljamain in the second round. It was kind of a felt like destiny fulfilled kind of thing. So I I did get a chance to watch the card. Um I didn't really uh, like any of the intercard matches that much. I wasn't really uh, intense with any of those, but I was standing up uh, for most of the uh, O'Malley Aljo fight, and it was a it was a great night. So love UFC UFC 292 was a the title fight was a hit. Yeah. I hate calling it a one fight card because we did have Wei Li Zhang on there defending her women's strawweight title. She was a heavy favorite in that one. She got the performance of the night. It really was just those two title fights and especially O'Malley. The undercard, yeah, like you say, not a lot of, I think it was all the favorites won. I think every fight on the card, what is that, like 11 out of 12, the favorite one, Sean O'Malley at plus 205. I'm not sure why he was such a big underdog, but he was the only underdog, I believe, to win, at least according to UFC.com, their website odds. And if you have no idea who we're talking about with Sean O'Malley, do yourself a favor. Just a quick Google search. The man is like a big cotton candy head that constantly changes colors. He's got face tattoos. Imagine if like Post Malone was a world-class fighter. That's kind of what Sean O'Malley looks like. And he's what, bantamweight. So he's only like, what, 140 pounds, maybe on a good day, maybe 150 when he's not training. But he's like super tall. I believe uh, bantamweight, they're fighting at 135. But he's super tall. And yeah, that reach that he has, that's what I didn't understand about Aljo's game plan in the fight was he uh, tried to make this a stand in the ring and box with Sean O'Malley. And that is not what you do with Sean O'Malley. You you get him down on the ground and that's how you beat him. If you have a chance at beating him, you better have a good ground game. But And Aljo does, he just didn't go to it. Yeah, that's I agree with you. And again, I didn't get to see much of it just watching the highlights, but you would have thought Aljamain, number one thing, just keep this on the ground. The And Sean O'Malley, I think, is actually like a legitimate boxer as well. He has a boxing career. The guy does everything. I think he has his own little podcast series that he does. And he's like from rural Montana or something crazy. So it's 
just a, a unique character and a guy that hopefully has a nice long run. I'm not sure what Bantamweight looks like outside of him. Uh, great performance for him and excited to see him finally at the mountaintop of Bantamweight. He's a taller Paul brother. <laughs> no, uh, no, but, I'm sorry. But, 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 uh, I, the, but I like Sean O'Malley. I don't want, I have no interest in liking the Paul brothers. Well, he seems like he, he could fit right in with Logan and Jake. Sorry for that loud boom of me just throwing my microphone on the ground. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to look. Maybe Henry Cejudo. Maybe that's the big fight. Him and the former double champ, the Olympic gold medalist. Maybe Piotr Jan gets back in here. Bantamweight's a division we don't really talk about, but there may be some fantastic fights waiting for Sean O'Malley, and maybe Aljamain climbs his way back in and gets a second shot at it. Either way, Bantamweight looks like a division we need to give some credit to in the UFC with ideally Sean O'Malley at the top. Right. Uh, one other quick thing I wanted to get to. Whose side are you on in the 76ers divorce? Daryl Morey or James Harden? We haven't talked basketball in a while, but Andrew's our basketball guy. I'm pretty indifferent on this one, to be honest. I'm just kind of over it. Uh, James Harden seems to be a lot of drama wherever he goes. And so let's just end the drama. Give him what he wants. Give him the trade. Uh, send him send him on his way. Send him packing. Uh, because you know it's not really going to be a happy situation if they decide to keep him. It's it's not really going to do well for guys like Embiid, for Harden to be around. He's kind of become a little bit of a distraction, if you will. And I, I don't think the Sixers really need that if they're going to have any hopes of retaining Embiid, which is really what they need to focus on, is retaining Embiid. They need to um, basically do whatever is going to make Embiid happy. If that means keeping Harden, keep him but that means trade Harden, get rid of him today um so, you don't really need it uh james is way past his prime and so you know we've already seen what he is we they can do better hand it over to maxi hand the primary ball handling and play making responsibilities over to maxi and and roll with it and so two questions here wasn't Daryl Morey supposed to be the James Harden whisperer? Didn't they were in Houston together, and that's why he wanted to go to the 76ers because he and Daryl Morey were thick as thieves. Yeah, that that was a uh, kind of the thought process there. Um, not really sure when that relationship soured or why. Uh, to be honest, I haven't paid a lot of attention to it because, again, it's just kind of an annoying situation with James Harden. It seems like everywhere he goes these days, within a year or so, he's He's pretty unsettled. It's kind of like Kyrie. You never know. The guy could up and quit tomorrow. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of done with the temperamental all-stars who are past their prime and uh, not really – they were once superstars, but they're not really true difference makers anymore. Um, so well, the, I don't all those, know. All those players end up together with the Clippers. That's kind of yeah, probably. And then uh, I'm sure everybody will throw out their eyeball emojis. Look at this new Clippers lineup that'll never play together because load <laughs> management and injuries exist. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I don't know. I'm I'm ready for a new era with new guys, with new stars. Um, I've moved past James Harden. And my grown James Harden. My second question. Does this impact how you feel about the Sixers' chances in the East? If Harden's gone, the starting five we're looking at is Joel Embiid, P.J. Tucker, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, 
And then I would presume Pat Bev would be the other guard. Maybe DeAnthony Melton gets a shot. Those are kind of your top, top six guys. If we go away from Harden, they move up or down the East or they just kind of. I mean, they, they move down. Um, but I, I don't think they're really contenders if they keep Harden. So you might as well get what you can for him and see where this year takes you. And then you're going to have to find another way to maybe lure somebody to come play with Embiid, uh, work out some other sort of a trade, some other sort of free agent signing. But yeah, get Harden off your books and go after it next summer. Don't don't really worry about this year too much. I mean, you're still probably a playoff team around Embiid because Embiid and I, I think Maxi can be just that good, but you're not really a true contender and you're not with Harden. So you might as well ditch Harden and get what you can now and look towards the future. Yeah, there's still probably a top five team when you've got the Bucks, the Celtics, the Cavaliers, the Heat all in there. Still probably just as good as the Knicks or Nets or Hawks, I would expect, with the Embiid-led lineup. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's get to the meat of the matter here, unless there's anything else in the sports world you want to get to. Uh, no, let's dive right into some fantasy football. Well, this, as we mentioned at the top, one of our favorite episodes to do every year and a good one to have Andrew on for. I I like fantasy football, but uh, maybe not invested as I once was. I still still enjoy getting together. I mostly like doing the drafts is what I've discovered. But we're going to go here and look at our philosophies and go position by position with the quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends to look at players that we like, some hidden gems, maybe some players to stay away from. Before we get into that, going to talk about philosophy and the disclaimer we have to do at the top of uh, every year that we do this. I hate PPR leagues. Andrew loves PPR leagues. So a lot of our difference in opinion is going to start there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't understand. I pray every day that I will convert you to PPR. <laughs> it's love. Just, it's um, just, I, I call it the Deontay Johnson effect. 86 catches, 862 yards, but no touchdowns. Fantastic in the other two categories. I just, I want my guys to get yards and touchdowns. I don't care if you rack up a bunch of receptions. I, I, the, I, the I thing is, the thing is, is that having PPR um, makes a lot more wide receivers and tight ends valuable. Uh, if you play without PPR, you really can just sort of disregard the wide receiver position and then really your whole year comes down to what position did you get in the draft? Were you able to get the workhorse running backs or not? Uh, there's really only one way to play in a standard league that's not PPR, and that's get the workhorse running backs. Um, your Saquons, your Derrick Henrys, uh, those kind of guys, right? CMC, Eckler, right? And I'd rather have a multitude of, of play styles open and in PPR, you would kind of flip that you're Justin Jefferson, you're Jamar chase, you're kind of more valuable. So that's, that's the reason why I like PPR a little bit more than the standard league. There you go. Two, two people can disagree and neither be wrong. Just two different philosophies on life. True. True. It's just, I don't really like, it's fine. Okay. We'll go <laughs> on. We'll move on. All right. Uh, so we're going to, let's just jump in here position by position, starting with the MVP players for normal NFL, but probably not a guy you want to draft super high, stay away from quarterbacks. And I guess kind of my first question, 
how do you slate your gunslingers, maybe a Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, who don't get quite as many rush yards versus we've got so many guys who can run the Jalen Hurts, the Kyler Murrays, Lamar Jackson's, Josh Allen's, your dual threats. Where where are you starting to look at quarterbacks in the draft and how do you compare the the, the dual threats versus more standard quarterbacks? Yeah, so I think quarterback, it really comes down to like where you're getting them. I'm a I'm a firm believer in kind of waiting on quarterback because the difference in points per week from quarterback one to quarterback 10 is not exceedingly high. Uh, I think a lot of people get caught up in reaching for names earlier on. Um, and I'm just not one of those people, but I will always probably um, at this point in my fantasy football career, maybe it wasn't like this early, but with the advent of just rushing quarterbacks, you really kind of need a running quarterback. And uh, just because of the rushing value, that rushing value that guys like Hurts, Jackson Fields, um, Allen, right? The and Anthony Richardson, the rookie, who I guess we can talk about as well. But that rushing value can kind of save a bad passing week. Uh, if you think about it, you know those kind of those guys that I just mentioned, forty to fifty rushing yards, kind of on average, somewhere in there for those guys. That's four or five points a week just from rushing yards alone. And then you got to figure that those guys are going to have some success throwing the ball, and also you can't really account for touchdowns. So I really like that. Um, basically all of those guys offer you at least a flex level running back who throws the ball. So my philosophy is always go for the guys that, that run. Um, but I wouldn't go high on any of the guys that run like Jalen hurts should probably be the top quarterback off the board just based off what he did last year. But I wouldn't put like fields too far behind and Lamar right behind that. Um, I know people will say Allen Mahomes, but that's that's kind of how I see it. I'm not really in love with the gunslingers. I mean, I'll take it if I'm kind of backed into a corner. But uh, and then also guys like Dak Prescott, who maybe ran more earlier in their careers, but don't really as much. I think I'm kind of out on a guy like Dak Prescott. So I know I threw just a lot a lot at you, but that's kind of how I see the quarterback position in fantasy football. And Disclaimer, this is a, so I'm looking at Yahoo rankings here, and this is just one league that I'm looking at, but the projected numbers, other than Mahomes, who's decently athletic, but he's more scrambler than downfield runner, he's the number one projected quarterback for obvious reasons, but then the next four guys are Allen, Hurts, Jackson, and Justin Fields. Justin Fields is a really curious one to me. We all kind of expect the Bears to be bad. Their receiving core and running backs are a bit of question marks, but the fact that he can very easily put up a thousand yards rushing adds a lot more value to him. He'll, he may not get over 4,000 yards like Allen and Mahomes, but he's one who can be very, very dangerous. So if you're sitting there at maybe pick 30 or so, and you're looking at fields, burrow Herbert, there's a lot of different ways you can go there. Just yeah, what you like. And it's also the trade off of taking a quarterback versus the running backs and wide receivers still on the board. And particularly the scarcity at the running back position, you got to kind of weigh that too versus your quarterback. That's why I'm a big fan of going quarterback later. 
after I've probably filled out my running back, wide receiver, and my flex spots at least, that's when I'm kind of pivoting toward quarterback. I might even fill a bench spot or two before I take a quarterback. And so I am I am shopping in kind of a a lower tier of quarterback, trying to find maybe a hidden gem. And that's why I'm in on guys like Daniel Jones, Anthony Richardson, um, Kirk, Kirk Cousins, if I have to. <laughs> right. Uh, Pack, Geno, that Packer fan is coming out. Geno Smith. Um, right. But I, I really like, and my, my sleeper pick for this year is Anthony Richardson, because I think the rushing value alone will make him worth it. I, I know that he has some question marks as a passer. Uh, but so did Cam Newton, and Anthony Richardson tested similarly to Cam Newton, except a faster version of Cam Newton. And with the whole Jonathan Taylor situation, with him possibly being traded and or holding out, being disgruntled, just generally not going to do well there. Um, he's going to get plenty of goal line looks from a rushing perspective, and he's a, a big dude. I think he's... 6'5", 250, I believe, something like that. Um, He is going to be sort of a Cam Newton-Lamar Jackson hybrid, possibly, right? Um, Maybe not great as a passer. And so that's why I think there's a really low floor with him. But for as late as you're going to draft him, he's got a really high ceiling. And so that's really my sleeper pick at the quarterback position is Richardson. Well, you brought up a couple names that I wanted to ask you about. Let's call them the the anti-athletic crowd, guys who are going to put up crazy numbers. You name-dropped a couple in there. But the Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, I haven't picked my quarterback yet. I've got two receivers, maybe a back or two. I've got my tight end, but I totally forgot to get a quarterback. What are we, any of those guys that you most like or most want to stay away from? Yeah, you you absolutely don't want any part of Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr because there's a good chance that those guys are benched um, at a certain point. I'd rather take a stab at Jordan Love. Again, if you're going later on quarterback, you need to draft someone with some upside, and Jordan Love is maybe a cheaper option even still than Anthony Richardson, and he will add some rushing value. Maybe not to the same level as Anthony Richardson, but I would rather take a stab at a guy like that who adds some potential rushing value rather than those drop back pocket passers. The pocket passer guys that I I would take in a pinch maybe are Kirk Cousins and Geno Smith. I think those are the guys that I could get by with and feel good about. Uh, So looking at last year's top 10 in points, you can have one of these guys. Who do you want? Gino, Trevor Lawrence, or Jared Goff? Because everybody's excited about that Lions offense, but it is Jared Goff. Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be the anointed one, and then you just mentioned Gino gives you more of the dual threat potentially. For where I can get them, because Gino is probably going outside of the top 10. You're going to have to use a, a premium pick on Lawrence, probably not on Goff, but... Gino and Goff are in the same tier, are probably going around the same spot, average draft position. That's why I would probably, out of those three, take Gino because it would cost me 
not as much to give me the same amount uh, of points. And then you got to look at it on a, on a weekly basis too, right? Cause remember fantasy football is a weekly game. So you don't really want to base your decisions off of total points. You want to base it off of look at these guys, do some research on what they averaged per game last week. Look at the lows, look at the highs, how close were they to their average every week? If they were close to their average and their average is uh, within that top 10 per per week or it's close to it, but you think there's some upside potential. Um, obviously, with Anthony Richardson, you don't have a whole lot of data, so you're taking a real stab in the dark and you're really just banking on that rushing value. But I think I would probably take Gino out of that crowd. So you have a lot of things to weigh in the quarterback decision. And really all of your decisions. I think that's a good guide for every position, not just quarterback. Now, where are you on this? I have a philosophy that not a lot of other people agree with me on to take two quarterbacks in the draft. A lot of people think that's wasting a spot that you could put on a backup uh, flex player. But we always we see a quarterback, a star quarterback. It's happened to Rodgers. It's happened to Burrow. It's happened to Dak. It's happened to Stafford. Star quarterbacks. It happened to Brady. Happened to Manning. You put all your eggs in this basket, thinking you're going to have an excellent quarterback. They have a, a season-ending injury in Week One, and then you're scraping for Kyle Trask, hoping that he beats out Baker for the Buccaneers job, and you get eight points out of quarterback every week. So are you are you a one or two quarterback carrying on the roster guy? I'm a one quarterback carrier, but also this is where the factor of look at what your league is doing when it comes to quarterbacks. If you're in a 12-team league and everybody else is rostering a backup quarterback, even if you, you are typically a one quarterback person, you might have to soak up that extra roster spot on the bench with a quarterback. As much as I hate doing it, there's really not a lot of value in it because you can – Typically, you can find a guy in a 10-team league, right? You can find, even if the other nine teams take, you know, two quarterbacks or, God forbid, they take three, you can still reach down into that Derek Carr, that Brock Purdy, that Matthew Stafford, that Kenny Pickett low tier, um, where you can basically pick up someone for, for kind of free. Um, so I'm still, I'm still a one quarterback, but again, pay attention to what your league mates are doing that might unfortunately sort of dictate what you have to do. And we should also clarify, we're just thinking your standard leagues here. There's plenty of leagues out there that have crazy settings where you have 25 guys who start and you need a four of every position, which I do like to play in some of those once in a while where you have to have two starting quarterbacks and like four running backs and I do love individual defensive players, no matter how few people agree with me. But when we're talking here, we're talking your pretty standard roster sizes. Right. Yep. We're talking your one quarterback leagues. I do like the super flex, the advent of the super flex. Um, I'd like to see leagues shift to all super flex starters, um, eight or nine super flex spots. For our, non, they- for our non-fantasy crowd, what is a super flex? Superflex is a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. You can start any of those four in a superflex spot. Um, so I've I've done this league a couple times where you have uh, ten starters, 
all 10 spots are super flex, no kickers, no defense, because you don't need them. They shouldn't be a part of fantasy football because they're completely luck-based, but that's another, another conversation. Um, and then it's really just your philosophy. And some of it again is dictated based off what pick you get as to you're going to start 10 quarterbacks that does kind of seem like the move, but at a certain point there's kind of diminishing returns on quarterbacks to where maybe you'll want to go running backs, wide receivers, that kind of thing mix in with some tight ends. I don't know. So it's kind of an interesting uh, setup that you can do, but I'm a big fan of adding at least one super flex position. So that way um, people at least have to think about going quarterback sooner. It's not as easy of a set in stone decision as we're talking about with standard leagues here. Anything else on the quarterback side of things we need to get to? I don't think so. Just stay away from uh, Dak Prescott and, and Tua, and I think you should be okay this year. Maybe think quarterbacks round four at the earliest? Uh, that's probably as early as I go. Probably round five, honestly. We'll move on down to what is perhaps the most volatile fantasy position, the wide receivers. Again, this depends on if you're in PPR, non-PPR, your league settings, and a lot goes into wide receiver. Looking at the projection on Yahoo, Jamar Chase is projected to be the highest scoring non-quarterback in fantasy. If that tells you how wide receivers, fantasy used to be such a running back dominated game. But Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, the top two, and Tyree Kill is fourth behind Christian McCaffrey. Are we to the point, are you as a owner to the point where you are drafting wide receivers in the first round? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially PPR. If you're looking at a PPR league, I mean, Chase and Jefferson are probably coming off one, too. And you can't you cannot blame the owners for taking Jefferson and Chase one, two. I would still probably go Christian McCaffrey just because I think the drop from running back one to running back 10 on a points per uh, week basis is a lot bigger variance than the drop from wide receiver one to wide receiver 10 because wide receiver 10 this year, I mean, where based on where they're getting drafted at, you're kind of looking in that CD lamb, Jalen Waddle, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave territory, maybe even AJ Brown dips down that far Waddle, um, Devonte Adams, maybe dips down that far. So you're kind of looking in that range for your wide receiver 10 or so. And there's not a lot um, separating those guys. And there's not really that big of a gap on a points per week basis between those guys and your Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, your Tyree Kill, um, your Cooper Cups, if Cooper Cup is healthy. So that's why I, I'm more okay with waiting on wide receiver, but I understand the philosophy of taking wide receivers early and often. Do you, how much thought do you put into what does the team depth chart look like comparing in the AFC East, just pulling this one as a quick example, Stefan Diggs, well, assuming he's still there is the alpha for the bills. He is the number one target without question. Compare that to a Dolphins. Tyreek Hill is the one, but Jalen Waddle is right there nipping at his heels. You look at the Bills or the Bengals, they've got a lot of guys to distribute with Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. I would use the Buccaneers when they had Tom Brady as the quarterback because you had Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. 
Does that impact where you want to draft if you're looking at a team where, okay, the Raiders, Devontae Adams is absolutely the guy versus a team that has to spread it around? Yeah, you bring up the Dolphins, and I would not hesitate to take Tyreek Hill at all. Um, the only thing that would give me pause is the Tua factor, and I know I just said avoid Tua, but if Tua is somehow able to stay healthy, have a relatively healthy season, start a lot of games, you got to remember Tyreek Hill is on pace for 2,000 yards. Like, he, he was well on pace for 2,000 receiving yards with Tua as his quarterback. Now, Tua got hurt, and Tyreek suffered a little bit. Tyreek dealt with some injuries of his own. Uh, but Tua and the Miami Dolphins system was able to support two fantasy, highly fantasy-relevant wide receivers in Hill and Waddle. So I wouldn't really get too concerned. It's really more about the guy that you're drafting. Is he going to get targets? Will those be high-value targets? And how many targets is he getting in relation to the other guys on his team? Um, and and the other guys that you're thinking about drafting around him, I would more factor in quarterback play for my wide receiver selections. I want pieces of guys who get a high amount of targets in good offenses. Uh, but I would I would even take a chance in a guy like Adams, who's in a bad offense, but it's going to get a high amount of targets. So. It's, I I don't know. I don't know if it's really, the depth chart is really that much of a factor when you're talking about the guys at the top. And I think you hit on a great point there. And I I have faith in Jimmy Garoppolo, but Devontae Adams is a good example. And there's other guys up there who, not sure about the quarterback play, but a star wide receiver you just believe in no matter what. I mean, it's kind of the general philosophy of, you know, like let's say Matt Stafford goes down, but Cooper Cup is still there. Like you, you have to ride with Cooper Cup no matter who's under center. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Want to look at a couple teams here, uh, a couple situations. Maybe just stay away from Patriot wide receivers. Uh, the Ravens. People are going to see that name Odell Beckham as a number one receiver. Are we? Is there any world where Odell Beckham or even Zay Flowers as a rookie should be a top receiving target for you with Lamar Jackson? No, those are those are guys that you're probably maybe taking a flyer on um, later on in the draft, and rightfully so. Uh, but the one I would take a flyer on is probably Zay Flowers. I like the potential of him a little bit more than Odo Beckham, who is older, the injuries, uh, talented guy, but obviously I'm not taking a chance on the aging veterans, and that's why I'm out on guys like DeAndre Hopkins as well. Um, I think I think that is um, maybe not the route that you want to go. So I'm out on the aging veteran wide receivers that people like because of their name, maybe more than the actual game on the field. Uh, I'd rather take a I'd rather take a chance on uh, second year guys like um, Drake London, Christian Watson. Give me those second-year breakout wide receivers. That's really how you win your league is getting some of those second-year breakout guys. Uh, to that end, uh, two different sides of that. George Pickens with the Steelers is a guy that I love if you're looking for a guy who may sneak in that you can probably snag late. But then aging receivers, Amari Cooper. Do we think Amari Cooper has much left in fantasy? 
Oh yeah, I really like. I actually really like Amari Cooper. He played really well last year. I don't consider Amari Cooper sort of an aging wide receiver that I would be scared of because there hasn't been a massive injury history with him there. I I think if you take him kind of where he's going, you're sort of banking on Deshaun Deshaun Watson getting somewhere close to the player that he was before everything happened. But so that would give me a little bit of pause, but overall I would feel pretty good if Amari Cooper was my wide receiver too. Uh, but the guy that I love, and I think people are kind of catching on to this. We didn't mention him in our top 10, but we very well should, because he could definitely be top five. Amon Ross St. Brown. I think we should mention him in that same breath with those other guys that we mentioned, the Cups, the Hills, the Chases. I think Amon Ross should be up there with those guys. Yeah, I huge Amon Ross St. Brown, St. Brown fan, and especially in that offense with the rifle arm that is Jared Goff. I think St. Brown's going to get all kinds of work. Yeah, and then a, a guy that I mentioned, my sleeper, I know you're going to say I'm a homer, but <laughs> you can go look up his November and he's going to be a big target for Jordan Love. He's a big playmaker. He's got a lot of speed. Christian Watson, I think, could be a steal at his current draft position because in the last, I believe, six weeks of the season, he he was, uh, on average, a really close to the top 10, definitely within the top 15, and he's going well outside of that now. So you would feel really good if you're able to slot Christian Watson into a flex spot. And then I like, I like Jerry Judy. I like the bounce bounce back potential of, um, again, Judy had kind of a late breakout was in for a really good season, a borderline top 10 fantasy wide receiver season before he got hurt. So I, I would feel really good about those guys. Um, and if you want to look a little bit deeper, if we're talking, a really, a really deep sleeper, maybe on even further down the board. I would consider Jahan Dotson as well. I think Dotson had a really great end of year last year. And so there is some sort of a indicators that we can take from last year. And I think Jahan Dotson, every list that I'm looking at has him in that somewhere in that 30 to 40 range. And I think he's going to outperform that. I think he's going to be in the in the top 30. So you're going to get him at a really good value, I think. I know the quarterback situation would give you some pause because Sam Howell maybe not the best quarterback, but those are just some guys to think about as you go on further down your list. So I have three teams I want to ask you about. One about the wide receiver room in general, and then two teams that are in very similar situations. Start with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Everybody is sold on Trevor Lawrence. He looks like the real deal. He's going to put up bonkers numbers, we expect. Calvin Ridley's coming back, and some people seem to think that those guys are the second coming of Manning and Marvin Harrison. But then you've also got Zay Jones and Christian Kirk there, so there's a lot of people to get the ball to. Plus, you have Travis Etienne out of the backfield. Evan Ingram got a lot of work last year. Just do we trust any of these Jaguars guys, or is it kind of like the Chiefs where there's so many different mouths to feed that nobody's really a stud? No, I'm fully in on the Jaguars. Um, but I would highly prioritize. I think Ridley is going to be number one. 
and Christian Kirk works more out of the slot, whereas Ridley works on the outside. So their name for fantasy football says wide receiver, but in all honesty, they play different positions and they're going, there's enough work to go around. The guy that's going to be really affected by the Ridley acquisition is Zay Jones. Like you said, Zay Jones is not really going to be a, a viable option. And we're probably going to see Evan Ingram have a, a few less targets, right? But there was enough, there was enough uh, passes, enough targets to go around to support two fantasy relevant wide receivers like that. Now, Christian Kirk is probably more of a flex play, whereas you could probably get away with Ridley in your wide receiver two. He's kind of maybe on that wide receiver two slash flex borderline, but could outperform that even. Again, it really depends on touchdowns, but you can't predict touchdowns. You can only predict, um, you know, volume and the opportunity for touchdowns. So I really like the Jags and think that Ridley and, and Kirk are the guys you should prioritize from the wide receiver perspective. And same question for two different teams here. You've got a couple old dudes who now have a new young gun in the room with them. Look at the Chargers with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and they welcome in Quentin Johnston, a first-round draft pick. And the same for the Seahawks, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, and then they welcome in Jackson Smith and Jigba. How am I, as a uh, manager, how am I approaching these two teams and these six players? Yeah, um, I am, I think, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are going to keep on chugging. Um, I really like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett as potential wide receiver twos. I think next year is kind of the year for both JSN and Quentin Johnson, as I think contracts are up for Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So I think next year is kind of the year that we can look to these guys. I would not count on JSN for and Quentin Johnson for a consistent and reliable production year one. I think that's more of a, a next year kind of thing for both of them. Again, barring injuries, but if I were to take a chance on one, we, we know a little bit of the injury history with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I'd probably take a, a chance on Johnston ahead of JSN just because of the injury history of the guys in front of him. So, again, good bench stashes, but in guys that you could maybe s- start in spots, but I don't think you're going to be throwing them in your flex spots for the most part. Anything else in the wide receiver? Anybody we didn't get to? Any situations? Any tips? Yeah. Um, I think that about does it. I mean, keep. Keep an eye on Romeo Dobbs. I think Romeo Dobbs has a good connection with Jordan Love. Uh, Sky Moore, uh, that was a rookie that a lot of people were high on last year. Maybe he's pieced it all together this year. Um, But again, Chiefs wide receivers, it's kind of a, you don't really know who's going to shine on any given week. But if there was one that I had to pick, I'd probably take Sky Moore. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. is my guy. Not all that. I don't know if you'd call him underrated. He's a top 25 projected wide receiver. 
if Jonathan Taylor is gone and the Colts have nothing else, Anthony Richardson's going to have to throw to somebody sometime. I feel like Michael Pittman's at least going to rack up targets. So there's a my kind of sneaky name we didn't talk about. Yeah, I guess you could throw Deontay Johnson in there for me. I know you mentioned him as kind of the the poster boy of why PPR sucks for, from your perspective. <laughs> but I think he's kind of the poster child of a guy who the zero touchdown thing is just not going to happen again this year. He uh, he finished really high last year with zero touchdowns. Uh, there's nowhere to go but up, and he's going to get the same level of targets. I think Deontay Johnson, you know, when your league mates are taking quarterbacks or tight ends in those mid rounds and Deontay Johnson's there on the board, go get him because I think that could be a league winning pick, a guy who becomes a almost borderline wide receiver one. uh, If the Kenny Pickett hype train really takes off, if Kenny Pickett is, is any sort of good, Deontay Johnson's going to really take off. Well, there's lots of names for you to consider in scenarios. We'll move on to the running backs here. The position for me that is still the creme de la creme, the guys I'm looking at in the first round. And much like the quarterbacks, it's becoming about the dual threat guys projection for this year. Looking at the top, it's the pass catchers, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, guys who can get it done at both ends. But you also have the camp of the Nick Chubbs and the Derrick Henrys and the Josh Jacobses who are more your classic hammer running backs. So two different crops here and plenty of players we'll get to, but uh, what's our need to know just to start the running backs this year? Well, like you said, pass catchers are kind of ruling the day, but, and then you kind of lumped in some guys together and I'm, I'm not really a fan of you lumping in Nick Chubb with the Derrick Henry and the Josh Jacobs, because you got to remember Nick Chubb is free of Kareem Hunt. Like, this is completely his backfield. There's no annoying Kareem Hunt this year. And so Nick Chubb is a guy that I'm a lot higher on than most. I've got him third. I've got him right below McCaffrey and Eckler. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on Nick Chubb. And then I wouldn't hesitate to use up a first-round spot on Bijan Robinson if those other three guys are, are gone, I am only in on Bijan Robinson. The Falcons have a great offensive line. They wanted to pound and pound and pound the rock. And Bijan is one of the best running back prospects that we've had in a long time, uh, probably since Saquon at the very least. And so we're going to go ahead and I would take Bijan in the first round at any point in a heartbeat. Um, I wouldn't even be upset with people if they took Bijan number one overall, because I think there's a real chance that he could end up as the number one overall running back, because we know the injury history with McCaffrey. Uh, we know that maybe Eckler, maybe the Chargers have kind of talked about working someone in, someone else in, and maybe that takes away some work from Eckler. I really think it could be a, a Bijan RB1 season, and so... I, I'm really high on a couple of rookie running backs. I like Bijan, and then I wouldn't hesitate to go get Jameer Gibbs in that second, third-round turn kind of range. That's kind of where I'm looking at 
Jameer Gibbs as well. So we're going to see rookies have a really, really high impact on the running back position this year. Well, a lot of directions to go here. We'll start right there because you talked about him, Bijan Robinson. He's one that I am intrigued by because we know Arthur Smith wants to run. You mentioned the offensive line, Desmond Ritter learning how to be the starting quarterback. So I can't imagine they're really going to put a lot on his hands. They're going to let the running backs do their thing. My concern with Robinson is the by committee. They've got the old vet Cordero Patterson there. It's kind of their gadget player, does a little bit of everything. And then Tyler Algier came out of nowhere, had that remarkable rookie season. And of any of these positions, running back is the one where guys can have the most immediate impact. I think quarterbacks take some time. Receivers and tight ends take a little bit of time. Running backs are the guys who you see it every year. Somebody explodes onto the scene that a couple of guys have remarkable rookie seasons. Bijan Robinson, I think, is my favorite to be that guy. I just wonder, is the is the share carry with Algier going to be a real thing, or is he kind of a one-year wonder, at least from a fantasy perspective? No, that shouldn't be a concern at all. Um, given the draft, you got to look at where they were drafted in the actual NFL draft. You do not use a top 10 pick on a running back to run Tyler Algier out there. It just doesn't happen like that. So I think Bijan is going to be a true workhorse back in year one right away and behind a good offensive line and a good scheme. I think the Tyler Algier season really speaks more to the Atlanta Falcons scheme with running the ball and how good it was last year. So I'm going to go ahead and, and say you don't really need to be concerned because that split, that backfield split, it's going to be like a 70% Bijan, 30% between somehow split between Algier and maybe to a lesser extent Cordero Patterson. So I really wouldn't worry about either of those other guys. This is going to be a total workhorse for Bijan and I feel a similar thing for Gibbs because if you saw the draft room for the Lions when they drafted Gibbs at number 12 they were celebrating partying like they just won the Super Bowl (laughs) I, I mean and then also you gotta you gotta look at last year the Lions had uh the most fantasy points per week for the running back position and they did that with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams who are no longer there and they believe they upgraded from Swift to Gibbs, and they replaced Williams with David Montgomery, and so they supported two really fantasy-relevant running backs last year, but they they view Gibbs on a much higher level than Swift. The coaching staff last year in Detroit did not like Swift, and so I'm really high on Gibbs as well because he's got that pass-catching potential, and there's maybe not the best pass-catching options uh, they've got my guy, Sam Laporta, at tight end, who we can talk about in a little bit. But beyond uh, Laporta and Amon Ra, Jameer Gibbs is going to be catching a lot of passes. He's either the number two target or the number three target at worst when it comes to the pass catching work. So, And Bijan's going to do plenty of pass catching as well. So I really like these two rookie running backs, and I think they're going to burst onto the scene in a big way. Well, we'll come back to that Lions running back room here in a minute. I just want to go a kind of a quick fire through some of the divisions. The NFC South, you've got Bijan Robinson, you mentioned. Miles Sanders, the main guy for the Panthers. I think he was good in the Philly system, but I don't trust him here. And to tie this back with the Lions, Jamal Williams is now the guy in Detroit. Williams, very quiet a couple of years before this and then exploded last year. 
So I'm wondering, or you know, do we have two guys, two peas in a pod here, Miles Sanders and Jamal Williams, great in their previous systems. But as the bell cow back, I don't know that I want either one. And then the Buccaneers, I don't really know that I want anything to do with the Buccaneers running back for a while. Yeah, and, and Jamal Williams is only going to be the guy for maybe three games. Uh, Kendra Miller could see plenty of work, and then Alvin Kamara will be back in New Orleans as well. But you're right, I do not trust Sanders. Um, Rashad White, out of out of all the other running backs in the NFC South, I would probably take Rashad White. If you look at his end-of-season stuff, I think they're going to be checking it down to the running backs and – Rashad White could be sort of a second coming of Leonard Fournette. I think I'd feel comfortable with Rashad White in a flex spot over Jamal Williams or Miles Sanders. So I really like Rashad White out of the rest of the NFC South running backs. Uh, but I, I think Kendra Miller might be worth a flyer too. But um, the real question is Kamara. What are you going to do with Kamara? I haven't really settled on that. I think – it really depends upon how, on how the rest of your draft is going, what other running backs you have. You can't have Kamara be your second running back off the board. He needs to be your third running back off the board. So just something to keep in mind. But once he's back, I think he'll be just all right uh, for a running back two option. So yeah. that's kind of how I see the NFC South. Yeah, I'm I'm stashing Alvin Kamara if I can sneak him in a uh early to mid round. I just think a lot of people are going to see Jayla, uh, Jamal Williams' big numbers from last year and maybe take a bite of that a little early. Um, probably, probably. The NFC West talked about Christian McCaffrey, who I'm still nervous about with the injury history, and they basically have Debo who can do everything Christian McCaffrey does. A lot of, we'll talk about this when we get to Kittle, a lot of players to touch the rock in San Francisco. I think Kenneth Walker is a number one. He's a guy I'm willing to start with. I, but again, I want nothing to do with the Cardinals player. I've never been a Cam Akers fan or anybody else on that Rams team. So for me, if I'm looking out West, it's just CMC and Kenneth Walker. Uh, you gotta, you gotta think about Charbonnet too, because the Seahawks used a second round pick on Zach Charbonnet. I think they're going to deploy Charbonnet a little bit more than people will will like if you take Kenneth Walker. So I understand your hesitancy with CMC, but he really was the guy. Um, Elijah Mitchell took a little bit of work away when he was healthy, but Elijah Mitchell has health concerns of his own. And CMC took away from Debo, not the other way around. So I I have very few concerns with CMC other than the health concern that's ever present. But again, you can't predict injuries. So given that you can't predict injuries, you have to think CMC by far the top running back on the board. But I'd be a little bit nervous about Kenneth Walker because I think there could be sort of a platoon scenario with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet in Seattle. Let's go up to your beloved NFC North. I'm staying away from the Bears. The Vikings intrigue me. Alexander Madison feels like one of those guys who's always good for a touchdown or two, kind of like a Latavius Murray who you can get in a bye week when you're in a pinch, find a guy in a waiver wire. Same with Kanea Wangu. I don't really want any of those guys as my starters, but if you're looking for a waiver wire pickup, but it really is the lines that you discussed and then your guys up there in Green Bay. So you've got David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs with the Lions, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon with the Packers. It 
is there a world where our, my fantasy team, both my starting running backs are Jones and Dylan, and maybe the same situation with Montgomery and Gibbs? No, I wouldn't start both Jones and Dylan. I don't think Dylan is a startable running back from a fantasy perspective. Jones for sure is. You'd feel great with Jones as an RB too. Um, but yeah, I would not. Um, I would not be starting Dylan. I don't think he's really shown that he's going to be a starter. And then Madison, I think I know that he's looked good in the weeks without Dalvin Cook, but Miles Sanders and Alex Madison, I think those are my new Mike Davis um, running backs. The guys that everybody are just assuming are going to be great just because they're the starter and they're somehow going to get the workload. And I, I remember how everybody was hyping up Mike Davis a couple of years ago. I think, uh, and he kind of fell flat on his face and didn't really return the value that most of us expected from him. So I am, I am out on the Alexander Madison show. If you wanted to take a flyer on the backup to Alexander Madison, you could take a very late flyer on Ty Chandler because that's who's going to most likely back up Alex Madison from a, a rushing perspective. But I, uh, would probably stay away from those Vikings and Bears backfields unless you really needed the depth. And wrapping up with the NFC East, Saquon to me is the guy here. Everybody is in love with Tony Pollard. I just, I need to see more before I buy it to see him as the guy because their next best option feels like Deuce Vaughn, who is a sixth round draft pick this year. The Eagles are just such a buy committee thing. I don't, feels like there's five guys who are going to get the ball there that I don't like either one. And then the commanders, I feel like are so hard to pick with Antonio Gibson had a great year a couple of years ago. And then Brian Robinson came on the scene last year. Just feels there's, there's no one main option to go with the commanders. The Eagles are going to get numbers, but which guy's going to get it each week. So to me, it's, this is all about Saquon. Yeah. We've seen enough Tony Pollard to know that he can be the guy though. Uh, without Zeke, Tony Pollard has put up some outrageous numbers. I think I would lock him in as an RB1 this year. So I really think this is a Saquon and Pollard show um, here. But I would, again, the uh, you're probably going to have to touch some of these backfields that we've mentioned that you don't like for some of your depth. Right. And if that is the case, I would probably take a flyer on Rashad Penny for where you can get him because before the injury last year, uh, Penny was on an amazing pace. And then the year before that, he was a, a league winner in the fantasy playoffs for a lot of people with the way that he ended the year. I believe that was two years ago. Again, the injuries are a major concern. And yeah, there's five running backs for the Eagles plus the Hurts rushing factor. But, again, a lead offensive line there in Philly, a good rushing attack. They made Miles Sanders look good, and Miles Sanders is not good. Um, so, And I like the talent of Rashad Penny more than Miles Sanders. So maybe Rashad Penny is healthy for the first half of the season, and he's a really good flex starter for you in certain spots during the first half of the season. But you're going to have to use the waiver wire as you do every year. So why not take a shot on a guy behind a good offensive line? So if you haven't cashed in on, on Barkley or Pollard, then I would go for Penny and 
put all my my eggs in the penny basket. And then if it comes to the commander's backfield and you got to touch it, I think you got to go for Brian Robinson just because he's the easiest guy to root for. I don't really have any sort of uh, hard data or hard evidence for why you should pick Brian Robinson over Antonio Gibson. But uh, I think Brian Robinson is just really easy to root for. And that's kind of what fantasy football is about. Right, picking guys that you want to root for. Right. Why not take Brian Robinson later in your draft and root for him? Over to the AFC West, Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, those are starters for me. Broncos, nobody that really stands out to me. And then the Chiefs, these guys are going to get numbers. It's the Chiefs offense. I just feel like you're rolling the dice each week. Okay, is it going to be Alaire, Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon? Who's going to who's going to be the guy this week? Yeah, I think Pacheco is going to get the first crack, but uh, don't be shocked if CEH gets some more work than we're all expecting. But I, I, again, if you're in a deep league and Clyde Edwards-Alaire is there in like the 13th or the 14th round, you might as well just give him a shot. Um, just because you may maybe don't have better options at the running back spot at that point in time. And in the AFC South, you've got King Henry, you've got Travis Etienne, and for the time being, you have Jonathan Taylor. Still not sure what's going to happen there by the time the Colts actually suit up for the season. And then Damian Pierce, we kind of forget about. Had a nice little 2022. If he can bounce back, we may be looking at a, a good roster here in the AFC South. Also, I would not be shocked. This may be where we get some of our rookies, like we didn't see Ramondre Stevenson or Tyler Algier coming last year. If Derrick Henry's hurt, Tajay Spears, the backup, change of pace rookie, a third-round pick, or Tank, Tank Bigsby, maybe more of a long shot. But if you're looking to stash some guys and be the smartest guy in the room by week 12, you'd say, look, I knew to get Tajay Spears. And ETN, I think, is he's really a great catching back and a, a dual-threat player, but Tank Bigsby maybe got to rotate in here. So just uh, some random names to throw out there that we don't talk about enough outside of the big-time starters. Yeah, if I was to take a rookie from this division – Tank Bigsby would be the one. What is going to happen? Really, with Jonathan, what's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor? Where's do we have any idea where he's going to go? No, we really don't. A lot of people seem to speculate and think Miami. I'm not so sure, um, and that would be sort of a nightmare because they drafted Devon A. Chain. They have they traded for Jeff Wilson and signed Raheem Mostert. Or maybe it's the other way around, but. I, I don't know. It'd be a lot like the Eagles situation where you'd have so many backs. I don't think Jonathan Taylor would be a workhorse in Miami. So I, I don't really know. But I'm a I'm a stay away on Jonathan Taylor right now. I I can tell you that for fantasy football purposes. There's just a lot of risk there that I, I don't like. And up to the AFC North, which, as I look at it, maybe at least the starters, the best division for running backs. Joe Mixon is a workhorse. Get if you don't like him, but he is one of the you know, heaviest carriers. You know, guys toted the rock the most last couple of years. Nick Chubb, we know he's the best in the game. Najee Harris is a nice young back. And with the Steelers, he's going to get work. The Ravens are the tough one here. Is it going to be J.K. Dobbins? Is it going to be Gus Edwards? Is it Justice Hill? Is it Melvin Gordon? Are they all hurt? Do we just stay away because Lamar Jackson's the best running back? But I feel pretty good about Mixon, Chubb, and Harris if you're sitting there and you need an RB1 with any of those three. I feel really great about Chubb and Mixon, but we've seen plenty of hype about Jalen Warren, and I think 
this Najee Harris, Jalen Warren thing is about to become the new Zeke Pollard situation. That was kind of a nightmare for fantasy owners. And so I would kind of downgrade Najee Harris into that more RB2 slash flex territory. And I'm not counting on him as a workhorse. I'm counting on Chubb and Mixon as workhorses for sure. But I think uh, you got to pay attention to Jalen Warren. And he might provide standalone value on his own this year, given off the reports from Steelers camp and how he's performed in the preseason. So I think Jalen Warren is kind of that, I believe this is his second year. I think I would uh, look at a potential second year breakout from Jalen Warren here in this division. And lastly, the AFC East, which this is the one that I really don't know how to make heads or tails out of. So I'm leaving that to you. You've got the Bills who have a bunch of running backs and their best running back is still Josh Allen. You've got the Dolphins who love to go by platoon running back by committee. And if you add Jonathan Taylor to that, what does that do? The Patriots, Ramondre Stevenson had a great year last year, but they bring in Zeke. What does Zeke have left? And then the potentially awesome or do they slow each other down combination of Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. Plus you still have Michael Carter there as a third option. So the East to me, I man, I have no idea what to recommend here. Yeah, I think I think James Cook is the only one who probably isn't in a timeshare, but like you said, Josh Allen is the lead runner for the Bills. Um so I, I don't know. I mean, you're obviously the highest running back off the board here, I think is probably still Brees. Uh, but I would not be taking him at a third round value, which is like where he's going right now in the third round. I would more have him in that fifth, sixth territory because they brought in Dalvin Cook, which might be a signal that Brees is not as ready as we think coming off that injury. And they care more about keeping him healthy long-term. Dalvin Cook is on a one-year deal. So this is a really uh, sign Dalvin Cook, use him up probably a lot in the first half of the season to sort of preserve the health of Brees Hall, bring him back a little bit more slowly and then uh, you mentioned Michael Carter, but I actually think um, the rookie Israel Abenaconda from Pittsburgh will eventually assume that third running back spot at some point this year. And so you might see him frustratingly mix in too. So I don't think you can really count on either Cook or Brees as like an RB2. Uh, maybe. Maybe Brees is an RB2 if he's fully healthy, but... Um, I think that's those guys are more of flex spots just to start off early in the season. So take that into account when you're drafting. And then I would I would kind of do the same with Ramondre. I would have him on the RB2 flex borderline. Uh, the Patriots basically said by signing Zeke, we aren't going to make Ramondre a workhorse back. We're going to give Zeke some of those goal line touches and stuff. So... You're going to get a lot of touchdowns vultured by Ezekiel Elliott and probably Dalvin Cook if you're a Ramondre slash Brees owner. So, and then the Dolphins backfield, just I'd maybe take a lit flyer on A-Chain just because they used a draft pick on him and he's really fast. And apparently that's the Dolphins MO. They just like to draft really fast guys and throw them out there on the field or trade for him. Worked for Al Davis case. for all those years. Uh, well, they're doing a little bit better than the Al Davis Raiders because Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have actual skill to go with the speed, and maybe A-Chain does too, but 
I think if I'm looking Dolphins running backs, I'm probably just taking the shot in the dark, the flyer on, on a chain just because he's a rookie and there's potential with him and speed. I, I don't know if you wanted to find some sort of consistency, I'd probably think about Jeff Wilson, but again, hard to make heads or tails of the Dolphins backfield. And I think they like it that way. Makes them less predictable. Anything else on the running back position before we look at tight ends? Yeah, let's let's look at the tight ends. No. To me, there's two obvious guys here. Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, those are my top two by a long shot. In my longest running fantasy league, the one I care about the most, I have keepered Kittle for like four straight years now, as much as it pains me. I just don't want to deal with trying to find a tight end in like round six that may or may not get four touchdowns. I like the reliability of those two. Then for me, it drops down a little bit, but then you get that's where you get the Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson. I think Kyle Pitts is getting into that level. Darren Waller's the one that I'm worried about. I want to see what he's able to do in that New York offense. He seems like he's cooled off a little bit. They may be able to reignite him. And then you're looking at the Dallas Goddards, Evan Ingram, Pat Fire, uh, Firemuth is a nice young player coming up. So where do you see the tight ends? And are you looking tight end number one? Is a Kittle or a Kelsey worthy of a first round pick? Kelsey is worthy of a first round pick, not Kittle. Um, you know, uh, again, a lot of mouths to feed there. And I'm not entirely sure that it's Kelsey and Kittle top two, because the way I would see it, I would actually put Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson above Kittle as far as receiving work goes. Um, just with the style of offense, the 49ers run, they're heavy lean towards wanting to run the ball and, I think Ayuk is really coming on as well as a receiver. And so you got Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, CMC, and still others that the 49ers want to get, get involved. And so I don't think Brock Purdy is uh, going to support, you know, four or five fantasy relevant options. Maybe the 49ers will even switch quarterback too. There's that potential. So there's, a little bit of shakiness, maybe in the 49ers quarterback situation as well. Uh, but TJ Hawkinson came in and was immediately awesome for the Minnesota Vikings. Mark Andrews is going to be the top target for Lamar Jackson. Forget about the wide receivers. Mark Andrews is a fantasy receiving option in Baltimore that you want. Uh, but Hawkinson is in an offense that throws a lot. Um, Waller has looked awesome with Daniel Jones, but the injury history kind of makes me nervous. So I'm a big proponent of you either get Kelsey and you do so by taking him in the first round, probably in the first half of the first round is where he's going. Or you wait and you take a flyer on your Evan Ingrams, your Gerald Everett's, your Tyler Higbee's. Maybe you take a flyer on a rookie like Dalton Kincaid or Sam Laporta who Sam Laporta might be the third receiving option for the Detroit Lions just instantly right out of the gate here. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at on the tight end position. You touched on a couple there, and I think we've hit the, the main names. I really get nervous about tight ends after maybe the top 10 or 12, and that's being generous. It's the rookies that I'm really curious about. You mentioned one, Dalton Kincaid. Dawson Knox has done all right in the Bills, but Dalton Kincaid I feel like is – presumed to come in very quickly and usurp that position. He will. Yeah, he'll absolutely be the starter. Um, 
at tight end, as will Laporta will be the starter for the Lions at tight end. And Luke Musgrave is going to be the starting tight end for the Green Bay Packers as well. Um, and we've seen in the preseason with Luke Musgrave that uh, multiple def- they have to commit multiple defenders to Luke Musgrave. He's really fast for a tight end. Um, not saying Luke Musgrave is going to be a star, but he's going as like tight end 24 off the board. And so if you wanted to grab a second tight end and take a flyer on somebody. I think Luke Musgrave might be the kind of the guy that you want, might want to take a flyer on because he's got a lot of good speed for the tight end position and seems to have a little bit of connection with Jordan Love. If I've uh, read all the practice reports correctly from Green Bay for the past month or so, he's got a pretty good connection with Watson and Musgrave. So I would, uh, Think about Musgrave if you need a a deep, a very deep sleeper and at the tight end spot. And then I'm, another... I'm out on Pitts, by the way. Ooh. I know you mentioned Pitts. Uh, rookie about... season was really good. His second year was a major disappointment. Other than a couple of weeks, of course, some of that was the struggle with Mariota, Ritter, the whole quarterback situation. But now with Bijan there, they're going to commit even further to running the ball. And I think Drake London is going to be the top target. I don't really view Desmond Ritter as a quarterback that can support or support multiple receiving options either. And so I'm, I'm just really out on Pitts this year for, for where he's getting drafted. I'll put it that way for where he's getting drafted, the amount that you have to spend on him. I'd rather pivot and take a chance on a running back or a wide receiver in that range. Uh, another guy I'll throw in there is Michael Mayer with the Raiders. Austin Hooper has been a nice player for a while now in the league. I think Mayer eventually supplants him as the top tight end in the Raiders. And I, whatever else he may be, I think Josh McDaniels has done well in the past of incorporating multiple tight ends and getting a lot of targets to the tight end position. So Michael Mayer is another young guy for me, kind of in that same vein as Luke Musgrave is a guy you can lean on. I did want to ask, I know it's a, a tough subject for you, but the Jets have Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama. I think Conklin will be the main guy. All right, tight ends, but maybe not world-class. I think Conklin's right at about number 30 in the preseason rankings. As much as we don't like to talk about him anymore, Aaron Rodgers always seemed to get the most out of tight ends. It didn't really matter who was there with the Packers. He always you know, he made Robert Tunyon a pro bowler, I think, and always had these different guys that did he really well with. So is just the Aaron Rodgers effect make a Tyler Conklin a feasible tight end one? Uh, no. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what Aaron Rodgers you were watching, but um, I, I don't really recall uh, tight Wait, ends. Tight ends. I, no, no. Um, no, I think you're romanticizing the, the Robert Tunyon era of Packers football or the Jermichael Finley or the Mercedes Rogers, like Mercedes Lewis was an excellent run blocker. Um, but no, that's what, uh, I mean, by the sounds of it, it sounds like the tight ends are going to have to stay in to block for Aaron Rodgers, given the struggles of the offensive line there with the <laughs> New York jets, which I, I knew was coming. So, um, yeah, I would, uh, the only pass catcher that you need to worry about with the jets is, is Garrett Wilson. That's going to be the guy that you need for fantasy relevance. All others are going to be fantasy irrelevant. 
Is there anything else in the tight end position we need to get to? Uh, no, I think that's that, that about settles it. Well, as we mentioned at the top, just focusing on the offensive positions, not a whole lot for kickers and defenses from our position. Draft a kicker that is playing and defense ride the hot hand. I don't know. Uh, anything else fantasy football that we need to get to? Yeah, do, do not um, take a defense before your, or your last two picks. Defense or kicker before your last two picks. If you're forced to play a kicker, which ban kickers from fantasy football. <laughs> I've been beating that drum for a while now. Uh, ban kickers. Do, uh, not, do not let the, compu- uh, let the computer auto-draft because the computer will pick like a kicker in round four. Yeah. Um, be present for your draft, number one. And uh, do not go early on defense or kickers. It's not worth it. And then, like you said, for defense and kickers, mainly just stream. Uh, stream through the defenses and the kickers. Pick pick on the teams that are bad, that we know are going to be bad. Pick on the Arizona Cardinals of the world this year. They're <laughs> going to be really bad, especially without Kyler. So pick up whoever's playing Arizona if you can. but. Don't go all out to get the 49ers defense to do it, but you know, pick on the pick on the bad teams once they reveal themselves, as there will definitely be more bad teams that we can pick on. But um, yeah, and then for kickers, you pick on pick on the offenses that tend to score a lot of points, as those kickers will probably get more opportunities, even if they're extra points. They might there might be some field goals in there, but. Yeah, there's not really a, a big science to defense or kickers. Uh, 2020 Robert Tunyon, 586 yards, 11 touchdowns. Yeah, again, you can't predict touchdowns. Um, so basically he he got lucky from a fantasy perspective with a lot of touchdowns that year. So, <laughs> yeah. So he, he just happened to get the high-value targets with the touchdowns and and capitalized, but if you look at his other years, I bet he didn't come close to 11 touchdowns on the other years. So he did not. Correct. So we're we're over romanticizing 2020. But there's but, uh, that's that's a good fantasy note. There's always going to be somebody like I watched a video the other day. I think NFL Throwback had it. A great YouTube channel. If you're an NFL nerd, NFL Throwback does great stuff. They had like one year wonders, and it was like Gary Barnage. Remember him in like 2016 or something? Tight end for the uh, Browns. Oh yeah. Came out Gary of nowhere Barnage. like 600 yards and 11 touchdowns and another Brown Peyton Hillis a couple of years before that came out of nowhere and had like 1500 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns. There's always some one year wonder guys out there that pop for no reason at all. I don't know if there's a way to predict it, but there's there's always a couple every year. Not really. Oh, Not come on. really. And Peyton Peyton Hillis Madden cover. Great. Yeah, right. Yeah, Great he got <laughs> one good year and he got the Madden cover. Yeah. Um I don't know, but if you did want to get in on a guy like that, maybe Gerald Everett is that guy. Hmm. Chargers tight end. I I don't know, but maybe Gerald Everett is your guy there for a little bit. He had a really great year last year, actually, if you look it up. But um, he might repeat that, or he might have more touchdowns and become a fantasy superstar at tight end. So he's a guy that you can get relatively cheap as well for the tight end spot. And someone that I would consider, but that, that about wraps it up for me. I think 
All right. Well, that is going to be our fantasy football preview episode. Hopefully you got a few tips and some advice you can take with you to your draft. Those will be coming in force here at the end of August, early September fantasy football drafts for your your family, your friends, your office pool, whatever it may be. Hopefully we gave you something you can use. We'll be back the next two weeks. NFC preview with Andrew and then AFC preview. Currently have Austin on the schedule to do that one. And then football will be here. College, pro, we will have it every single week here on the Sports Gospel. We thank you for joining us. Keep your stick on the ice. Mm -hmm.